Hello, and welcome to Sobercast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting Sobercast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I'm sorry I can't see you. I had a stroke in 79. I paid the price of losing my eyesight. These are dark glasses, I'm sure. And the reason I removed them, I want to show some of the widows how handsome I am. That's AA talk. <laughs> Blow your own horn. <laughs> I'm very grateful to people who thought of bringing me here and also grateful for the ones that brought me here today, Bill. And uh, he had an honor guard with him, uh, two women to, to guard me. Anyway, I'm very grateful for that. And uh, my name is Charlie B. Last name I'm not supposed to say, but I will. I'm not ashamed of it anymore, nor afraid of anonymity. My full name is... Yes, it's a hell of an English name to hang on an Irishman. And by the grace of God, I am sober alcoholic for many light years ago. Good afternoon, my dear friends. And please bear with me. I, um, someone said uh, that uh, I was uh, sober 48 years, which is true. And they didn't think I was old enough. Well, it depends how they look at it. But last September 25th, I chalked up to my lifespan. Today, I am 92. Don't worry, widows, I'm (laughs) self-supporting. In spite of my blindness, and of course another one you should know, because if you don't, you'll find out we'll get together. I have a broken hip, too. (laughs) Outside of that, I'm sound. Well, uh, I love to hear people laugh. You see, I don't give out drunkologues. But I'd give you something, a little bit in the book, which I had an honor and guidance of my higher power to write in the big book. And some of it is not in the big book as yet. I'm going to pass it on to you. How to live a happy, sober, and permanent life. 
Tom is an example. Now, if anybody having trouble living or sobriety, why, uh, all you have to do is my suggestion. Come up to Charlie and ask me how I did it. How did I stay sober 48 years uninterrupted? And I'm only too glad to tell you how I done it. But you'll find my written down on the first page of the big book after you turn the first hardcover. Well, we put down there on these pages, we put down precisely how we achieved our recovery. It's in that book. Precisely, word is precisely. So you can follow. Like uh, also, we wrote on the very top line in the portion of chapter 5, where it's been read here a little while ago, how it works. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Just follow Charlie's footsteps. You'll never go wrong. And you will live to 92 and over 40 years of sobriety by the time they get there. Yeah. I think I'm pretty fair example, a living example. There's no baby, no maybe about it. See, my friends, what I lived through, you will have to live through to achieve not only sobriety, but a heavy daily life. You see, you, you'll have to get out of a state of confusion, which you are in right now, most of you. When I had eyesight, and I spoke in many places, I used to watch expression on your faces. And I can almost tell whether you like my talk or you'd wish I'd shut up. You see? So when you're around the table at the meetings, I suggest you will learn something by watching the person across the table from you was discussing or drunk a log or whatever the case may be under discussion at that particular meeting and you will learn more than you can realize. Oh yes. Expression on a person's face is just like a mirror. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. Now, uh, you see, I'm a little bit different from most of you people. In every way, except one way I have something in common. I have a disease of alcoholism, and that's it. That's the only thing. You see, you're, I call you earth people. Because you were born on earth. I wasn't. You see the difference? I wasn't born on earth. I came on this planet. But I was born on the water. Yeah. On the edge of a tornado in Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. But they did bring me 
unto earth at the Brooklyn Hospital. And one mistake they made, I think, they uh, put the card of identification and called me the uh, Atlantic Orphan. <laughs> By rights, I think it'd be better off they called me Waterboy. <laughs> yes, my friend. My mother fell down the stairway, the rough hurricane weather, but the ship was anchored within a three-mile limit of the United States, opposite Ellis Island, which is known as Quarantine Anchorage. And she lost her grip coming down the stairway. By the time she got down to the bottom deck, her back was broken and I was born, and she died. The difference is, I never had a home environment. I didn't have an opportunity, chance to sit on the mother's lap. No. Incidentally, some of you wonder what happened to father. Yes, my father was in the Navy, stationed at that time aboard his ship, USS Maine, in Guantanamo Bay. And real shortly after that, I don't know whether he knew he had a son or not, but he was, the ship was dynamited. The history will tell you, remember the main. And he went down with all hands aboard with his ship. So now you see the difference between me and you? I didn't enjoy home environment. I never had a home. Oh yeah, New York State provided me with New York State Orphan Asylum, just outside of Brooklyn, about 40 miles. Until I was 12. Then I decided to go and take off and see the world, and I did. You know, I've been gone ever since, and they hadn't found me yet. <laughs> Ain't that wonderful, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That little bit of humor, I'm, I'm full of that, thank God. Humor, I mean. <laughs> I don't mean BS, I, I mean, I don't mean beautiful sunshine, stuff like that, you know. Well, anyway, I, I run across a boarding house with an Irish widow who run a boarding house, and she befriended me. And I stayed with her until I was almost 17, and then I joined the Navy. And that's where another career was started. That's another story, a long one, too. With a lot of wars involved in that. And uh, after they brought me from, the, uh, from that ship I was born, why, when they, well, I became Earthman, I also became an alcoholic later, later on. But uh, during the World War II, I learned a lot about alcohol because I had to use it. Not internally, but in torpedoes. That was our power. Yeah, we, we used grain alcohol to propel torpedoes during the World War I. That's, uh, that's a little uh, novelty for you to know. 
Of course, they, uh, we had no electronics uh, with us in those days. But nevertheless, I was, uh, I suppose if I fell overboard, I'd, I'd propel by, uh, like a torpedo too. I was a fool <laughs> myself. <laughs> I was, uh, I was a gin lover, uh, a gin hound, I should say, and a lover of rum. Now, I heard so many drunk logs at different meetings. You know, I attended quite a few meetings in these 48 years. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. Why, uh, my favorite drink was I took, I never use a whiskey glass, no drink out of bottle. I used these pot-bellied water glasses that they used to have in the restaurants. I'd put four fingers of gin in the glass, in the meantime, I'd warm up in a saucepan a mug full of hot rum. I'd throw that in and wash it down with a mug full of hot rum on top. Then I'd stand in front of the mirror and watch the color change in my face. <laughs> and then I'd gasp for breath and then wonder, will I ever breathe again? I did. Oh, yeah, I did. Well, that's enough of that. Now, uh, you see, my friends, I'm the last remaining living pioneer who helped lay the foundation of a program. Yes, I happen to be in the right place and come in the right time. And uh, there were five others, and they put me to work right away. And uh, I, uh, I met Bill Dubler. You see, I'm a native of Brooklyn, New York. And so Bill Dubler lived in Brooklyn at that particular time. And Lois is a... Uh, folks' home that they left for her after they passed away, which Bill politely uh, mortgaged, over-mortgaged it and drunk it up. That's why they lost that home. But that's another story. When Bill returned from Akron, Ohio, in uh, late August of 1935, from Dr. Bob. Well, a few days later, I suppose, anyway, I picked up a Brooklyn paper, and inside the paper was a discovery news. Bill had his picture in there, and uh, write up about that, him and a famous, a famous, a uh, well-known uh, Wall Street financier and broker and promoter and a famous uh, uh, Akron City Hospital surgeon of Akron, Ohio, have discovered a cure for excessive alcoholism for those who uh, drink to excess. Well, that word cure got me curious because by that time, I was already sober by myself 
22 months. How did I get sober? Well, I would have to go back for it uh, briefly. I have to take you back to 1933. There was a, uh, when New Year came around, and of course in the yard and offices, we all had a bottles of sorts of, all sorts of uh, alcohol, all kind of brands and colors and and uh, taste. We call it Christmas cheer, just a week before Christmas. So everybody went around the yard with a quart bottle in the coat pocket, uh, giving a Christmas cheer wherever we met. So they usually stop at my office, they give me Christmas cheer, and I give them that mine. I had a bottle on my desk to help themselves. Well, make a long story short, I took on a little more Christmas cheer than I intended to, because I don't remember 1933 Christmas coming and 1933 Christmas gone. I don't remember 1934 New Year coming. I don't, mean, don't remember it gone. Started with Christmas cheer. Well, now, uh, I don't know whether you call that an alcoholic or not. I don't know what you call it. But anyway, that's what happened. Until the uh, first part of the uh, first part of the uh, January, I heard the rap in '34. I heard the rap on the uh, door, and I answered, "It's open. Come in." And a great big marine, six foot two, with armband, uh, MP on there, military police, and he addressed me by my name. Says, "I'm ordered to escort you to the to the CO's office." Uh oh commanding officer's office. Uh, and I was in my skivvies, so he said, would you please get dressed? I said, yes, sir. I got dressed. He said, am I under arrest? He says, not yet. <laughs> so I came down there, and the old Captain King was here at that time. Later, during the World War II, became Admiral. And uh, we all advanced during World War II. And uh, his face his face looked worse than mine. He was bloated like a spoiled fish. Eyes were bloodshot, you know, and he was a mean-looking specimen. And he pointed his finger at me and said, Mr. B unless of this very moment you stop that infernal consumption of alcohol, I will be compelled to issue you dishonorable discharge as undesirable. Dismissed. Oh, by the way, 10 days on beach without pay. Get out of here. Didn't give me a chance to ask why I got poor or anything. And you can't argue with CO or ask questions. On the way home, <clears throat> I thought, my God, what did I walk into? What had I done? I couldn't remember. 
Well, I must have done something severe. With a, threatened with a dishonorable discharge is undesirable. I'd lose my country. And above all, I'd lose 28 years of continued service and a rank. Two more years I had to go to be eligible for retirement. In those days, you got to serve 30 years in the Navy to be retired. Not like nowadays. So I went home, and four days later, I was called back to duty. And I started working, and I was running scared. I was sober. I didn't drink. And when doctor, when I, uh, Bill asked me how did I stay sober, I told him, well, I dissociated my acquaintances. I stayed away from all of them, my drinking companions. I stopped bowling. I stopped playing poker. I stopped playing billiards. I stayed away from officers club. And I stayed away from all the social uh, function that was going on. And when the holidays come around, like Christmas and New Year or Thanksgiving, I'd uh, put on civilian clothes and get on a train and go to some other state, check in a nice hotel where they have a dining facilities but no saloon. And I'd, uh, while staying in there during the holidays, I'd take in the best theaters in town, go to the museums, parks, different places of interest. And after our day, I returned back to Brooklyn, sober and sane. That's how I started to stay sober from the beginning. See? Dissociate yourself from all the drinking cronies. Well, Bill told me, I can't do nothing for you. I told him, yeah, but I'm, I'm miserable. I'm running scared uh, for fear that somebody... Uh, uh, misinformed CO, or, and I will get that dishonorable discharge. Somebody will tell, tell a lie that they smell breath on me or they smell alcohol on my breath or something. So, uh, Bill strongly advised me to go see Dr. Bob in Akron, Ohio. He's the only man can help you. I can't help you. If he was drunk, he says, I could help you. I can take you home and give you a clean uh, sh uh, shirt and stuff and bath and feed you good and a good place to sleep. But he said, you're sober, I can't help you. So Bill couldn't help me, but he, he painted Dr. Doctor Bob so highly that I decided, well, I'll go see that man. So, and uh, that's in late August, in late, early September, I finally took leave of absence and went to Akron, Ohio. I met Dr. Bob. He told me that I acquired a disease, no cure for it. And he also told me what to do, what not to do. Make a long story short, he took all my fear away from me by explaining the situation as the only doctor, only he knew. And uh, I stayed uh, three days at his home with Annie and his two children, a boy and a girl, named Smithy and Sue. And uh, 
Well, after three days, uh, oh yeah, Bill Dudson was that, to the third man in the book, Akron attorney, that sobered up, third man in the book. They were together. Now, uh, I don't think that some of you alcoholics would accept AA on the condition Dr. Bob designed from the start. Dr. Bob had very good access to all alcoholics because they come to the hospital after hangover or whatever they happen to have, blackouts and such. So Dr. Bob used to have pay for room and board, but he didn't charge him anything for, for his work. Well, anyway, he had a better access than anyone else, and he had a better success, too. But after he sobers up an alcoholic, he brings him home, and uh, him, Dr. Bob, and Bill Dudson, uh, the third man in the book, the attorney, they'd have a special room upstairs. They'd take him in, the, in that room, which uh, they invited me to be as the uh, innocent observer, so to speak. And they, the ritual, they had a ritual there. They make this fellow get down on, the, on his knees and repeat the Lord's Prayer that Dr. Bob and Bill would say. And they had told him to repeat it in unison. So uh, if he don't, then he's not accepted. But if he does, repeat that and promise that he'd go to the, to the church school AA meetings three times a week. We had no book, you know, in those days yet. We hadn't even started writing yet in 35. How lucky you people are, only don't realize it. You've got all kinds of books on the, on the, on the subject of alcoholism. You've got a big book of Alcoholic Anonymous. There's everything, all the directions and instruction written right in there because I helped to write it. And you people just, I don't know if you even uh, flip the pages. Some, some of the people I know, by their own admittance, it's laying somewhere in the shelf gathering dust and cobwebs. And that, not that, that's not, that book is not cut out for that purpose. It's to read. How many times have I heard that the, at these AA meetings around the table of discussion and some joker would say, oh, I haven't got no drinking problem anymore. It's living problem that I have. How in the world did they live when they were drinking, huh? They didn't live. They existed. You know. I know. Living problem. <laughs> what a joke. I don't see how in the world they get enough nerve to come out and say that. They got a big book with all instructions. And besides, let me remind you of something you have. That's full of, full of a prose of wisdom is those pamphlets. They're for free. That's where wisdom is. In those pamphlets. Look them over. Take them home. And read them and reread them. And someday you'll say, Charlie was right. I know. 
I help with all those things. Besides laying the foundation for for the uh, program, I help clean that path for alcoholics to walk on. And then I did what I did more after that path was completed. I went around and put little plaques on the right hand side all along that plaque, uh, path with a plaque, with a little arrow pointing forward path. And I put an inscription on those plaques. This is a path lead to faith that works. that path and stay on it. See? And then you'll find something you never dreamed of. A happiness. A faith. Faith consists of trust. Faith is trust. Now, in the chapter, in the, in the, in the steps, for example, in the third step, we admitted, uh, we uh, the, um, made a decision to turn our will and our life over the care of God as understand Him, as we understand Him. All you have to do is just step aside, let Him go ahead. You ain't got no will. You just gave it away. And just be a follower instead of a pusher. Problem with modern alcoholics nowadays, they push themselves. They want, out of AA, they want things too fast, too soon. Yeah. They want a lot. And too soon. It can't be done. It cannot be done. Any more than anybody wants to have a sunrise right at this time of day. You can't do it. you got to wait till the morning for the, the, the time of the, the sun to rise. See, my friends? So you see, your instructions, your directions, all in a big book of Alcoholic Anonymous. Please, for your sake, read it and learn. And you will enjoy sobriety much better. Sobriety is just the beginning. It's just a scratch on the surface. See? Now, a little while ago, the secretary asked for newcomers to serve so many days or whatever. I, I would like to offer a small suggestion. <laughs> I thought, well, Dr. Bob, so many days or whatever, I, I would like to offer a small suggestion. <laughs> I thought, well, Dr. Bob is one that put, put that name on me. I'm the backbone. But those newcomers that are sitting around here today is the new blood that a program needs. After they reach 25, 30, 35 years, they become a backbone then. 
not before, but that we need new blood. And those very same people that are here today, this afternoon here, they're needed. Needed very much. They're the new blood. That's what keeps the AA going. That's as new members. Now, I'm not going to last forever. Matter of fact, some some of my uh, AA members around Lake County out there, they even tell me, Charlie, you live too damn long. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, it seems to me like I'm crowding somebody. <laughs> because, and you know, they I don't blame them in a way because every meeting comes up, you know, and they start griping about hardship they go through. I usually bring a book uh, uh, to them, a big book, but not reading. Like I did to you people a while ago. Read the big book. There's all the knowledge in there. There's ladies in here, I hope they will agree with me. When you prepare food, at times you use certain recipe that you like. Am I right? Okay. For God's sake, dear recipes in the big Alcoholic Anonymous book for your happy sobriety. That's your recipes right in there. I helped to write it. Now your recipe, ladies, it works. And your food comes out beautifully. Tasty. Delicious. So is your sobriety, my friends, members of the fellowship. Read those directions in a big book of Alcoholic Anonymous that we, we work so hard. So hard. You have all that information, which we didn't. From 1935 Till 1939, there was no book. How did we survive, huh? Did any of you ask how those pioneers, six, six of us started first, and little by little, after we started in 1937, we decided to write a big book. And we accumulated a little more members. True. But they're members like today. They didn't stay very long. Today members want to experiment. What the oh can of beer ain't gonna hurt me, what the heck, eh? you know. And one six pack is gone, I go get another six, and it comes back another six pack home, you know, somehow and unknowingly to them what they swear about, half a gallon of vodka in the other hand. Follow them home. Started with a can of beer. Hot weather. Alcoholic, as I wrote in third chapter three. Alcoholic will always be alcoholic. You cannot make a social drinking. I ought to know. I'm the first alcoholic. I had all of you here. Most, some of you wasn't even born when I was an alcoholic. So you see, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm here to help you. Now, for the benefit of those newcomers, I'm going to give you an interpretation of three first steps 
<coughs> excuse me, that I suggest you stay with until you learn more about AA program and how it functions. Now, you take step one. We admitted we're powerless over alcohol, that our life become unmanageable. When you accept that step, you receive a physical recovery. Or sobriety, use either, way, either word you wish. That's why I wrote the choice, word choice in the book. You have a choice. Use either word, sobriety or recovery. We use recovery. But your choice is whatever you want to call it. You get physical sobriety. In other words, you don't throw out your breakfast after you eat it. <laughs> See? All right. The second step is the key word to it is believing. Today, all of you, those who believe never will suffer with doubt. Now that's something to think about. Key word in the second step is believing that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And it does. It doesn't say will, it says could because it has the power. When that happens, you begin thinking a little more rationally. You begin sane. Restore you to, to sanity. You receive mental recovery, see? You have physical from first step, second step mental recovery or sobriety. Whichever you choose, is both the same. Now, the third step made a decision to turn our will and our life over the care of God as we understand Him. All right? With that step, you receive a spiritual recovery or sobriety. That's all there is. And you're a winner. Physical, mental, and spiritual. Achieve those three and then stay. Never mind the fourth step, but fearless moral inventory of ourselves. They'll come later. They're all, those steps are attached to each other. They won't separate. They won't get lost. No, they'll be there. They'll wait for you. But you must learn more. Learn how to take those steps properly. Understand the meaning of steps. All right. Now, on the twelfth step, you stay with those three steps, newcomers, and see what happens. You'll improve much faster, and you become more solid members of AA fellowship. Matter of fact, it'll surprise you. Try it. All I ask you is try it for newcomers. That'll work with short timers, too. They'll have a year or two. Try that for size and see what, what change you will receive. Now, now we got steps out of the way. Now there's traditions. There's tradition, the group unity tradition. Where do they come from? 
You know, you have 12 suggested steps for recovery. You got 12 traditions, 12 concepts of world service. We didn't have none of those things. And here I am standing before you sober for 48 uninterrupted years, beautiful years. I don't say that in the sense of braggadocia, but I say that in the spirit of my gratitude to my higher power that he guided me all them 48 years on my sobriety. You can do the same thing, providing you be honest about it when you ask him to guide you. You give your will away on a third step, but you can ask his will. Where? On the 11th step. That's your appealing step, which is plainly read, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. I hope you understand what I'm talking about. You see? All you have to just ask him. He'll grant you. Yeah. He'll grant you use his will. And he's in the possession of that power. He'll give you that power to carry it out. All you have to do is be honest. Please don't pretend. There's so many pretenders I used to meet when I had eyesight. But now as I can't see, I know there's plenty of them yet. And there's the one that gripe about how hard it is to maintain sobriety. <laughs> the 11th step, simple, very simple. All right. And the traditions, for example, now, on the twelfth uh, tradition, or first tradition, it plainly states that our common welfare should come first. There's so many, when a newcomer comes in, they go all out, gives enthusiastic to help a newcomer. And possibly they only had a few months of their own sobriety. They haven't got enough to give to anything or anybody. Still, they were they were so you know, so over enthusiastic to help a newcomer, and so they help him, they hinder him. So, uh, first one, first uh, tradition, plainly states, our common welfare should come first. So before you start helping anyone else, get something for yourself first, that you have something to give. Then go ahead. And on the, on the twelfth step, which plainly states about anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. How many people here present, raise your right hand if you know, what is the principles? that you place before personality. What are they? Anybody knows what they are? 
Does anybody know how many they are, those principles? How are you going to place principles when you don't know what they are? Huh? Oh, I'm going to give it to you. So you will know from now on what the principles are, main principles. There's three principles that attach to tradition of group unity and a 12 step, a 12 tradition rather. All right? The principle of recovery that embodies 12 steps as a principle of unity. Preservation of units then embodies 12 traditions. As a principle of service, that means put, uh, performing service, becoming trusted servant, putting something service in AA. So what will you take out? That is your three traditions. Recovery, unity, and service. Now, remember those. And you know where they came from? They, those three principles came from three legacies that our co-founders left for you to live by and guide you. Three legacies. Recovery, unity, and service. All right. Remember that. Try and I suggest you write it down when you get home. So someday they'll come in handy. There are two sets of principles in AA. What are the others? No, I, I met more, uh, a lot of people don't know. You don't know because you don't read the big book. <laughs> you don't read the other literature, darn it. How could you know? It's printed there. There's, there's two sets of principles. The other principles attach to 12 suggested steps. How many? No, not 12. No, not even six principles. But only five. Five principles control 12 steps. On the twelfth step, and the finishing, it says, and practice these principles in all our affairs. How in the world are you going to practice principles when you don't know what they are? Huh? Think about it. So learn what they are, and I'll tell you where you'll find them. And learn them. In the little book, 24-hour book, Turn to a page, September 16th, and you'll find explanation, definition, and what each principle represents what step. Then you know what you're practicing in your everyday life, what kind of principle. See? Those people have a 24-hour little book. I repeat, page, September 16th. <laughs> study it, read it and study it, and try to remember it. Because they are important principles of the 12 suggested steps of recovery.
Now, I'm giving you something that you couldn't get it any other way until I disclosed and told you where to find a complete interpretation. The meaning of each and every uh, principle and what step they represent. See? I could tell you, but I'm not going to. You read it and find out for yourself. You people expect too much too soon. I'm glad I came. And I came here for the purpose to help you people to get improvement of your daily life because you're entitled to it. You're dragging your feet. Get up and walk. Walk straight. And you can do that as long as you're honest with yourself. Now, you'll find that where we wrote, where I wrote, it demands rigorous honesty. Look it up in Webster Dictionary, what that rigorous means. Maybe that ought to help you. I could tell you, but I'm not going to. I want you to find out. Yeah. I'm giving you something for nothing. And it'll work. It'll work. Everything will work. Now, one thing I'm so grateful for in this AA fellowship, there's so many young people coming in. In my days, the youngest ones we had is 40 years old. And they didn't stay very long. Well, now, first hundred, when... Uh, when we, after we wrote the book, after the book came out, we had a hundred sober alcoholics. It took us five years to accumulate those hundred. But you see, those hundred, not in that one group like here tonight or this afternoon, they were scattered around eight different states in the East. Yeah. And uh, by uh, nine, and the uh, uh, 1941, in June, out of a hundred, when I went to New York, General Service Office, to check over, there were only 42 living sober. You see how they stayed? Today, a year ago, last October, uh, last month, and be correct, June, no, October 2nd. You see, Bill W's wife, widow, Lois, and I, we have something in common. She's the oldest Alanon living. We were born same year, 1891. I was born in September. She was born in October. And every year we got together, her and I, and Chuck Chamberlain at Laguna Beach sometime, and some others, we celebrated our birthdays. So this uh, last year, she invited me the Bedford Hills, the Stepping Stone Estate where she lives, 
for a birthday party, and she wrote to me, she invited 100, uh, 32 years or older, uh, old timers to attend her birthday party. Well, when I arrived there and met her, and she says, oh, you know what, Charlie? She says, I sure bit off more than I could chew. I says, what's the, what is it? You need some help? No, she said, you're here. That's the hell I needed now. And uh, she said, I've just invited 100, and there's over 300 arrived. <laughs> so she says, I had to, in a hurry, uh, rent a circus tent to uh, feed them all and, and caterers, extra caterers. Feed those 300 people. And six foreign nations represented. They came of their own accord to pay her respect by their presence. So uh, there's only, uh, the, and uh, they set her up high above. There's, there's, she had to, she decided that in two sessions, couldn't get all in one uh, room or hall. So uh, we'll have a first session meeting. And then uh, we go to lunch, and then after lunch, the second session would those that didn't didn't have meet will meet, and uh, she preside at the meeting, and uh, she was sitting up there, and and she said, "I'll be very generous, my friends. I'm glad all you came, but so many of you, I had decided that in order to keep this meeting in orderly match fashion." All those, all those members over 32 years of sobriety may speak two minutes. I'll be generous. <laughs> so uh, that's how the meeting went on. And uh, of course, and after, after the meeting, while she gathered those other people and formed a crescent shape, not exactly circle, and they had a bunch of cameras, movie cameras, and still cameras took pictures there, uh, outside on the on the, the that estate. And it's uh, it's named as the Bill Bill Wilson Foundation. It's maintained by uh, by profit off the book. So uh, so that's last time I was there, and uh, Lois was. Uh, she was still walking under her own power, but she had to have help going up or down the steps of any any size at all. And uh, I uh, I had the uh, let's see, I'm overtime now, I eh? I can't afford to pay overtime because I I'm not I'm not that rich. Well, anyway, I think I I I help you people about enough. Because if I didn't, you can always call me back. I'll try give you some more uh, hallelujahs now and then. Because some of you do need it. Uh, my members, my members in Lake County out there, a lot of them object to my method of throwing a book at them. 
Well, I present the book. I don't throw, but they accuse me of throwing at them. Well, the only subjection I have is that they reluctant to read the big book that we spend so many hours struggling to write it, and it's going and it's going to waste, laying on some shelves, gathering up cobwebs and dust, like I mentioned a little while ago. It's for your benefit, for your improvement of your everyday living and also improvement of your health. Think about that. And you get such improvement, you may live as long as Charlie. Said it if you liked it to live that long. However, I had my checkup last Thursday. Oh yes, incidentally, in uh, 79, I had a stroke, I lost my sight. And uh, this last uh, last spring, I, I uh, took me four months to get over. They took my 91-year-old appendix out. <laughs> and they led me up for four months. I finally got over it. So uh, last Thursday, uh, I had my last checkup. I asked the doctor, I said, well, Dr. Joyce, are you going to give me a clean bill of health? Oh, he said, Charlie, I'll do better than that, so I'm going to give you 10 more years to live. So you see, so you see, my friend, you're stuck with Charlie whether you like him or not. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to give you one of my best pearls of wisdom. What is AA way of life besides being sober? That's another thing a lot of you don't know. But you will after now, because I'll tell you. The AA way of life is a successful living is a journey to simplicity. And simplicity leads to triumph over your confusion. When you reach to that point, Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.